And I think that stops many people from working with a coach or working with a therapist. Look, we all know how to work out, but sometimes we still need a personal trainer. We all know how to cook. <laughs> sometimes we still go out and eat. So we can do many things, but we still outsource. So why is it that when it comes to relationships, people feel the need to do it all on their own? And I think some of that stems from the shame attached to a relationship not being perfect. <laughs> Welcome to the Brown Girl Podcast. This show was created to elevate the voices and perspectives of dual identity South Asians around the world. Here we have conversations on topics and issues that impact our community, as well as share the stories of personal successes and the struggles that often go unsaid. My name is Julie George, and I'm your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. This is the 50th episode of this podcast. I cannot believe we have 50 episodes under our belt. I have moved this podcast at a much slower pace than other podcasts that are out there. You know, when I first started in 2021, we were releasing episodes once a month. And then after about a year, we moved to two times a month. And that's the pace that we've been operating at. So to me, it feels like a milestone to hit 50 episodes. And I just want to thank you, you know, all of the listeners tuning in every episode. We have had a tremendous amount of growth, especially in 2023. And I'm just truly so grateful. So thank you so much. Um, with that being said, I am excited to introduce our guest today, Natasha Matani. Natasha is a certified relationship coach and accredited divorce coach. She comes from a South Asian background. She's got a really interesting life. She's lived all over the world. She's lived in Liberia, England, Nigeria, Ireland, India, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. And so she understands the cultural nuances within relationships and more specifically the limiting narratives and beliefs that surface in relationships across many cultures. So in today's conversation, we talk through various topics that fall under the umbrella of maintaining healthy romantic relationships. So we talk through misconceptions of what it takes to have a healthy relationship, warning signs that a relationship may be heading in an unhealthy direction. Uh, we talk through how couples can maintain a sense of adventure and novelty in their relationship, social media and the impact that social media has on couples and a whole lot more. So I hope you guys enjoy and find value in this conversation. Here's Natasha. Hey, Natasha, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Julie. Nice to be here. Yeah, so we have scheduled and then rescheduled and then rescheduled again. So <laughs> I'm just so pleased to be able to do this today. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Um, you know, so we're going to dive into relationships and how to keep your relationship thriving. Like on this podcast, we talk a lot about dating and relationships, but so much of my of the previous content with other dating coaches or experts have been centered around like the dating phases prior to the relationship, you know, like as you're going on dates to find someone to actually be in a relationship with. And so I would love to explore a conversation today with you that is geared more for people who are currently in relationships, but one that could still be insightful for people who may not be in relationships today, but still want to in the future. Um, so before we get started, maybe just give us a quick intro of like who you are, how you became a relationship coach, I would imagine this is like kind of some something that you stumble upon. So I'd love for you to share with us like a little bit about your background. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. You're right. I did sort of stumble on it. So I wanted to be a coach for as long as I can remember. And initially I was a life coach. 
And then I did some training with Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, and they were talking about finding your dot, you know, finding that one person that you want to be able to help and to impact. And I had been through a divorce with a child. And so I thought, you know, all those South Asian women who are now like DMing me and sending me WhatsApp and want to speak to speak to me, that's the person I want to help because I know all the kind of, you know, fear and shame and everything attached to that. So I became an accredited divorce coach. But as I was doing that, I realized that there was a lot of people who didn't need to get divorced. You know, and I'd always say, hi, I'm Natasha, the divorce coach that doesn't want anyone to get divorced. And I thought, no, I'm going to focus on relationships because actually I think if people saw a relationship coach before they hit rock bottom, they could thrive. Their relationships could thrive. There's so many simple things that we're just not doing. And that, and sometimes yeah. that's of our own cultural conditioning, but kind of getting to that point where you think, no, I want to work on my relationship. Like I think divorce has become, in some cases, I will caveat that by saying in some cases it is a necessity, especially if there's abuse involved. But in a lot of cases, people think, oh, it's him or it's her and I'm just going to move on and find someone who is better. And I'm like, if you don't do that inner work, and, and this shows in the divorce statistics, right? Divorce in second marriages is way higher than first ones. And then third ones are a lot lower because I think people kind of do the work and realize maybe there's a little, maybe it's a little bit of me in here. So that's how I became a relationship coach. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I think I'm very interested in this subject. This is on a personal level, like this is one of my fears in life is this idea of like getting married one day and then having that marriage become so flat. And we always hear about marriages where people are like, yeah, you know, we've become roommates. There's there's nothing wrong with him or her, but we've just grown apart. We don't have the same connections. It's just not the same. And I can think like I can say even thinking about my own relationship that I'm in, um, we're not married, but we are in a serious relationship. And like, you know, we're two people who I think are pretty reasonable, level-headed, we're extremely caring, we have good emotional intelligence, all of these things. And I can't ever imagine a time where some crazy explosive shitstorm is going to happen where we're going to hate each other's guts, you know, because it's just I, I don't think it's like part of either of our DNA. But this concept of like two people falling apart and growing apart due to XYZ reason is something that is so prevalent and it's it's a very real like anxiety inducing thing for me to think about um and so yeah i, I think with, with that being said i'm just i'm really looking forward to today's conversation with you i would love to start by hearing you speak about what are some of the common misconceptions that people have about what it takes to maintain a healthy and thriving romantic relationship how much time do you have <laughs> we got all the time girl um, so I think, you know, people believe one of the biggest misconceptions is that people believe that love is enough and that is going to be what will get you through the tough days. Now, don't get me wrong. Love is, of course, a crucial part of any healthy romantic relationship, but I think respect is as important. And in my experience, when a woman starts to lose respect for a man, I think their relationship can't thrive in the same way. So that's a big one. The other misconception is that communication is key. So we've heard it, you know, time and time again, I've pretty much said it myself as well, communication is key. But the thing is, communication is super important, but comprehension is key. So you could communicate until, you know, the cows come home. But if your romantic partner isn't comprehending what it is that you're saying, it's falling on deaf ears, right? And, and men and women communicate quite differently. And people communicate based on what was modeled to them when they were growing up. So what they saw with their parents, what they saw with their caregivers 
or just within the society that they were in. And so you come into this relationship and you think, oh, well, I said it to him. He should just get that I said it or right. he might say, but, I, you know, but unless the person is comprehending it, like understanding what you're saying and it lands with them, often that can cause, I think that can cause many issues. And the misconception is that I just have to be able to communicate it. You know, say you want your partner to pick something up on his way to like meet you and you send him a quick text and he happens to be in like this crazy busy meeting. Like you've communicated it from your point of view. He might come meet you and you'll be like, oh, did you bring it? He's like, no, like, what? I don't know what you want. What are you talking about? And you're like, but I messaged you. Right. But I mean, that's just a silly example, but you know, it goes deeper, but you, for you, you communicated it, but it didn't kind of. Right. Do you Um, think, do you think comprehension is something that can be taught or do you think it's something that has to be there? There has to be a baseline level of emotional maturity or emotional intelligence to be able to be someone who can comprehend. Yeah, that's a great question. I think comprehension comes with communication about how you like to have things delivered to you. So I remember talking to someone once and she was like, I'm a very visual person and she's a creative. So that explains it. And she's like, whereas my partner really needs things like, okay, we're going to make this decision, like show me the stats, show me the the kind of numbers and all of that. And those are two very different ways to communicate. So if he wants her to understand something he's interested in or wants to say something, he literally needs to kind of draw it out for her. And then she will see it and be like, okay, yeah, got it. Okay, I see that. So that's obviously for something a lot bigger. And likewise, if she wants to talk to him about something and say, this is the way it should be done, if she's all like fluffy about it, for the want of a word, he's not going to get it. Whereas if she's just like, did you know that this many percentage of people did that? And then this is the outcome. And then this, he'd be like, cool, got it. This is what we're going to do. So it's obviously for the bigger things, but I think, you know, it works at a micro level as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I don't know if you watched Indian matchmaking, any of the Indian matchmaking seasons. I did, yeah. You did, yeah. I always thought it was interesting how they write on the screen all the different criteria that each person is looking mm-hmm. for, you know? And I'm I'm very well aware that there's an element of like comedic humor and entertainment and drama that has to kind of be incorporated to make it good TV, you know, to make it something that people can balk about and talk about and Mm. whatever. But I always notice like a pretty overwhelmingly consistent amount of time, like most of the criteria listed of like what they were looking for would be these things like Mm. this person has to be able to cook pakoras. They, They must be a reader. They have to do this. And I'm like, yo, I don't think the I don't think these are the criteria that are really going to make, you know, a successful relationship. So that's something that kind of came to mind about just common misconceptions that people have. Hey, y'all, quick break here to tell you about one of our episode sponsors, Lingo Dodo. If you come from a South Asian cultural background and you have young children or nieces or nephews and you want to help them preserve their native language, allow me to share Lingo Dodo with you. Their signature product is the LingoPad, which is designed to teach kids the basics of their native language and is currently offered in Gujarati, Hindi, Punjabi, Tamil, Telugu, and my mother tongue, Malayalam. I love the mission of this company. All of their products are safe, screen-free, and educational alternatives to the internet, ensuring that children are using technology for good. With the holiday season around the corner, check out their suite of products at www.lingododo.com. That's L-I-N-G-O-D-O-D-O.com. And give the gift of culture and language to the children in your life. And now back to our episode. I'm going to add that a couple of other big misconceptions that I think people have. One of them is that, you know, we keep hearing things like 
especially growing up, like actions speak louder than words. And I think that along with this comprehension thing, that yes, actions can demonstrate how you feel, but words are important too. So if there's, you know, misconception is that if I just show my partner, like I do all these things for them, but some people just need to hear it. Some people need to hear the, the, I love you every so often, Mm -hmm. or I really miss you. And I think paying more attention to that in relationships is also really important. Like the misconception is just that if I show them, they know. Or the other thing is sometimes I'm coaching people and they're like, but she knows I love her. I don't need to say it. And I'm like, actually, you do. You do. <laughs> you yeah. know, she, she needs to hear it. And following on from that, I think like there's this idea, this misconception mm-hmm. that if we're together or we're married and we love each other, we should be able to work it out. You know, we should be able to work it out. It should be effortless. And I think that stops many people from working with a coach or working with a therapist. But look, we all know how to work out, but sometimes we still need a personal trainer, right? We all know how to cook. <laughs> sometimes we still go out and eat. So we can do many things, but we still outsource, you know, for the help and the support. So why is it that when it comes to relationships, people feel the need to do it all on their own? And I think some of that stems from the shame attached to a relationship not being perfect, which right. when you say it out loud, just sounds so crazy because all relationships, in my opinion, take some sort of work, but, or maybe it's just the way Hollywood you know, exemplifies romance and love. Yeah, and yeah. Or you, Hollywood or even like social media. And we'll we'll talk social about social media. media today toward the end. But, yeah. um, you know, as far as like emotional intimacy, emotional connection, kind of going back to what I mentioned at the beginning where it's so easy for couples to drift apart, right? And a lot of times there may not be an active noticeable issue, but that general sense of prolonged mediocrity in a relationship can cause two people to become emotionally disconnected over time. So what are some things that couples can do to maintain their emotional intimacy and emotional connection for a long-lasting relationship? Yeah, so I think you know, sometimes it's little things that we don't even realize because we're taking the other person for granted. So I don't know if you've heard of John and Julie Gottman, but they run the Gottman Institute and there's been tests and experiments rather run over a very long period of time with couples. And one of the biggest things that they talk about in terms of what doesn't work for like a couple or where they start to drift is when they start to turn away from each other. So it might be little things like one of the first signs, for example, is when couples start to not call out. So say one person calls out to the partner, right? And they're perhaps on their computer or watching TV and they don't look up. So there are three tiers as such. So one is where they completely ignore you, where they don't look up. Um, And you think, oh, who would do that? That's quite rude. But you'd be surprised how often someone's so engrossed that they just don't hear the other person. Um, And then the other one is where they say yes. So they acknowledge that you've called out to them, but they don't look up. And the third is where they look, they pause whatever they're doing, and they give you their attention. And like I said, it won't always be that way. But if there's more of the first two, these are warning signs. And in my line of work, the other big one I've seen is where people involve others. So say you're having a conversation with your partner and someone else, you know, says something, the other person agrees with something you say, and you respond with a yes you know, see, tell him or tell her he's, she always says this. And that's a lot more common than you think, but that isn't a healthy sign. So, you know, and then scoffing, that's a big one. So again, if someone, your partner has an an opinion and your opinion is different, you're, you're totally like, you don't have to have the same opinion, but don't scoff because there's a lot of nonverbal communication in that one sound. So I think in terms of couples kind of keeping that how can they how can they work together in terms of the intimacy and stuff? Sometimes it's just little things, you know, 
holding each other's hand, putting your phones away in a different bedroom um, or in a different room, like really giving each other that kind of time and space. I also heard something recently, which I don't know if you've heard of Tara Swartz. She's a neuroscientist. She's, she's amazing. And on a podcast, she was talking about how when you're talking to someone and you make eye contact, look at them as long as you're a righty, but most people are. Look at them, look into their left eye from your right eye. And basically, and that creates a real connection. And that comes down to when, you know, um, people were babies and their mothers would like hold them, usually in the left hand and look at them. Because of the way their body would angle, they'd be looking at them from their right eye into their left eye. And little things like that, you know, there's so many little things that just keep the intimacy. People sometimes think I'm so busy. We don't have time for this. We haven't been intimate. They think of intimacy only as sex. I'm like, you can, you know, hug, you can kiss. All the science shows, um, you know, all the kind of good endorphins that are released when you hug. So give your partner like a 20 second hug every morning. Yeah. Yeah. So many little ways to create intimacy. Yeah. I really liked and really resonated with me what you said about nonverbal communication, like at the beginning when they're not looking up when you know, your partner calls you and you're in the middle of doing something on your computer and you're just not actually giving them eye, giving them like eye contact. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know like in my relationship that would happen not often, but it would happen enough times where we had to have like a sit down conversation about like, OK, hey, I know we're both really busy, but if there's something that's really important that we need each other's like undivided attention for five minutes, we ask them up front like, hey, babe, do you have five minutes to talk about something? And then when we ask that question, it's like, okay, I'm turning off my laptop, I'm putting my phone down, and we're just going to talk about whatever it is for that like designated five minutes. And so I think that's like one thing that's really helped me, helped me in like my relationship as far as that like nonverbal communication. Yeah, that's so crucial because everyone knows what it's like to be sitting with someone who's like having lunch with you, but on their phone, they're not really there. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned a few like early warning signs that a relationship may be heading in an unhealthy direction. Is there anything else that you want to address on that? Or Yeah, no, just actually just building on what you said about actually mm-hmm. taking time, making the time, and more so if you have kids, you know, because then it gets even busier, carving out that time to talk about, you know, your kids, the challenges that you might face in carving out that time, um, using I statements, so, you know, express your feelings and thoughts using I statements to avoid sounding accusatory, so you might not say you're doing this and you're always making me feel like this but saying I feel hurt when mm-hmm. and then telling them it just kind of brings that wall down a little bit if you start and also start with appreciation so you know if you need to talk to your partner about something and they sit down start with appreciation be like I'm really grateful that you do xyz and I love when you do abc and now they're kind of vibing up here right they're like right. oh yeah and then be like but, you know, I feel really hurt when you do this. And I would appreciate if you do it, you do it like that. Um, it's, it's amazing what just putting the gratitude ahead of the, you know, ahead of what you have to say, what that does for your relationship. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of the sandwich method that I, I've been taught in like a workplace environment when I'm doing like performance reviews. Like you start off with the good stuff, the compliments, and then you kind of de- <laughs> dive into some constructive feedback, constructive criticism, and then wrap it up with, again, appreciation and the things that they are doing well. So, exactly. um, yeah, yeah. 
how do you think couples can maintain a sense of adventure and novelty in their relationship to prevent it from becoming stale? Mm, yeah, that's a big one. So I think come out of like the monotony of your day-to-day relationship. You know, it's like instead of doing the same things and maybe talk about what you what you'd like to experience together. That's not like travel, for example, like things you can do because if you've spoken to like dating experts, they'll tell you like everyone on dating profiles says, I like to travel. And I'm always like, but who, who, who doesn't? doesn't? Yeah. 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 Who doesn't? I'm like, sure, you like to travel. What does that look like? Like, are you going to be taking sabbaticals every year and traveling? Are you going to be like backpacking? Because, you know, or are you going to be traveling? Like, there's so many questions there. But I think picking something that neither of you do separately. So, you know, not not like, oh, let's spend some time together and go or watch a f- football or soccer in the States, you know, um, match or let's go to this theater like thinking of things that neither of you do separately like it might be that you go to a pottery class together or you go to some sort of like you know creative class together and doing things that both of you are also new at so there's a learning there and you're you're talking to each other about it I think picking things that allow you to come out of your I don't want to say comfort zone but come out of like the monotony yeah of, you know of the relationship like not like oh let's date night okay let's just go to dinner no oh we're carving out time for each other what can we do like let's do something exciting let's do something new let's do something fun and there's so many things you can go you can do everything from like paint especially if you're in a bigger city like paintballing to learning how to do graffiti I mean there's so many you know very cool things you can do yeah You know, one of the reasons I love these podcast conversations with guests is I feel like in a selfish way, it really helps me. And so (laughs) as I was preparing, literally, as I was preparing for this interview this morning, and like, I was just re-reviewing the questions, I thought, you know, and I came to this specific one, and I was like, I haven't done a surprise, I haven't initiated a surprise date in a while. And so I got online, you know, there's a few key activities that both my partner and I really enjoy doing together. We never do them separately and we don't get to do them often together. But when we do, it's a really good time. It's a really special time. And so literally just this morning, I got on the Internet. I booked two seats for us to do that thing together. And so, yeah, it was like a good kind of like I'm someone who, you know, like you mentioned monotony, right? Like I know I am someone who gets really easily wrapped up in whatever work and other things that I have going on. And so. I often need like an external perspective every now and then Mm -hmm. to kind of reel me back in and remind me, okay, I need to like reshuffle my priorities and make sure I'm doing my part to inject that sense of novelty into the relationship. Yeah. And I love that it's like this element of surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you balance personal space and togetherness in a relationship to ensure that both partners can maintain their individual identities? Yeah. Again, such a great question. I would say two very important things. One is understanding that you cannot be everything to each other. You know, that's a lot of pressure to put on one person. And the second is, I think, to have your own social circles and your own hobbies and your own pursuits that, you know, the things that bring you joy. Because in a heteronormative relationship, Right? Maybe the guy wants to play football once a week with his friends and maybe the woman wants to have girls night or book club or spa day or, or even just, you know, go play a sport like a team sport. And these things are really important to, you know, in order to find that balance in your relationship. And when it comes to togetherness, then, you know, like we said before, consider doing something new together, something you haven't done before or, or something you enjoy doing together, like 
going to a museum or attending a workshop or whatever, because then there's so much more to discuss. But I think the biggest part about how to balance it is to ensure that you just don't feel like your partner has to be your everything. Because I think people feel guilty, right? Like they are like, oh, but you know, I should be able to talk to my partner about this. But it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to put on one person to be the person who can cheer you up, the person who can take you out of a funk, the person who can make you laugh, the person who can have a DMC with you, the person who you can talk to about something that's troubling you or politics. Like, yeah, they can talk to you about a lot, but I think you need to have different friends and different people who bring that to you. Like this idea of, you know, we were back in the day, like a village, you know, it's, it's a village that you have around you. And now as we have a lot more like nuclear families and like smaller households, Mm -hmm. more so it's important to remember that the people outside are like, they're not in your home, but they're your extended village. And just to add, I think this is even more crucial in Desi culture, where women aren't always encouraged to leave their husbands at home and go out and have fun. It's changing. And of course, if you're in the US or the UK or somewhere it is a lot more progressive, but I think there are some, you know, in many cases it's still frowned upon. And so I think that's a big thing that people should talk about before going into a marriage even, that this is important to me, spending time with my girls is important to me, or playing well on a Thursday evening is important to me. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think definitely like when you can maintain your own sense of identity, that often allows you to also give more to the relationship at hand, for sure. I think like- you know, for me, for example, like a big part of I'm I'm like a very routine oriented person. So a big part of maintaining my sense of self is example, like getting my lifting workouts in three times mm-hmm. a week, you know, and when I'm doing that consistently, consistently, I feel like everything else flows so much better, whether it's things at work, whether it's things with the podcast, whether it's my relationship. And so I think like my partner knowing that and then being able to support and encourage those routines has been really like valuable and it kind of like reaffirms and like kind of encourages that sense of like independence and like self-reliance yeah that's so good to hear yeah I kind of want to delve into the communication aspect you we talked about communication a a little at the beginning communication versus comprehension um how would you define like what is healthy communication and what are some practical communication tips for couples So I think healthy communication is being able to openly, vulnerably, and in a state of trust, communicate what it is that you're feeling. So if you're in a relationship where you're always fearful of saying something to your partner for fear that they're going to like get upset or annoyed or, you know, explosive, I think that's a huge, huge red flag, which a lot of people, you know, often just kind of brush under the carpet or they'll just say, oh, you know, that. He's like that, or I'll tell him at a different time. That's not to say that you just, everything that you're thinking kind of comes out. You have to understand the other person. But I think you should be able to communicate with whoever it is that you're with. That To me, that's the epitome of healthy communication. Never having any sort of fear of that person's response based on what you're saying. They may not like agree with what you're saying. They may not like what you're saying, but you should never be afraid to yeah. to say what you want to say. So that that to me, that's the epitome of healthy communication. And then in terms of like, strategies and stuff as we talked about before like just making sure that you're carving out the time putting aside any other distractions you know using i statements make sure you're expressing appreciation gratitude and also i think asking open-ended questions so just encouraging your partner to share more by Mm -hmm. asking open-ended questions that can't be answered with a simple 
yes and no, because this will just help deepen the conversation. And the other big thing with communication is if you're unable to do it in that moment, it's totally okay to say, you know what, I actually need, like say you're, you get into some sort of argument and you're not communicating in the way that you'd want to, because there's different kinds of people. There, you know, are people who kind of explode and there are people who implode. There's some people who just need to like in that moment, say everything and talk about it and other people who really need to think about it. So I think if you're someone who explodes where you need to talk about everything and then maybe you need to think or the other person needs to think about it, it's totally okay for them to say, I need some time and leave that space. But it is then that person's responsibility to come back to the conversation when they've had that time. So you're not leaving things open indefinitely. But I think that's a big part of communication as well. If you're not someone who's very reactive Mm -hmm. to be able to say, I need to think about this and come back. Yeah. And I think like as humans, our emotions, our moods, our mental states will ebb and flow. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Testing, testing. Oh, okay. You're frozen on my end. Oh, um, I don't know how much of how much you caught, but hopefully you caught everything. Yeah, you. It, we did. I think it started to cut off when I was starting to respond to something that you mentioned. So you were talking about um, asking each other open ended questions and I really love that. One thing that I really like doing is we do these like quarterly, quote, quarterly check-ins. And it's basically a designated time that we have once every three months where we pick a neutral location, usually at a restaurant, and we literally just talk about our relationship and ask each other open-ended questions, specifically kind of reflecting on the last three months, you know, asking each other questions that allow us to really reflect and and talk through and think through things like what is what is something I did that made you really upset in the last three months? What is something I did that made you smile? You know, and these kinds of open ended questions. And that's been like, really, I think a healthy thing for us to do as a couple. And so these quote check ins, you know, they're not meant to replace fixing things and issues mm-hmm. that come up like on the day to day front. Right. So this is not like, oh, you wait three months and bring it up at your check in. Um, But it has been like a really good thing for us to do to have like designated time to really like have these like intimate conversations. And I always walk away feeling like we're more in sync than, you know, prior to the conversation. And I love that you didn't just say like, oh, what's one thing that, you know, I did that upset you. It's also what's one thing I love that, but I did that made you smile because you need to know both ways, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a craving for Indian food but don't always have the time to make Indian food and you want healthy options, I want to tell you about the Cumin Club. The Cumin Club is a meal kit service offering authentic Indian meals made in 5 minutes or less. The first time I tried the Cumin Club, I was blown away at the authentic flavors and I couldn't believe that all I had to do was add hot water and wait a few minutes. All of their meals use high quality ingredients and spices specific to each region of India. Their innovative freeze-drying technology ensures a long shelf life for all of their products, which means I can keep their meal kits on hand without worrying if they'll go bad soon. Some of my personal favorites are sambar idli, masala bindi, and rice upma. Head over to their website and discover over 30 different types of Indian dishes to choose from. Simply pick your meals and get them delivered right to your door with free shipping. Check out www.thecumanclub.com or view the show notes for more details. And now, back to our episode. What about when it comes to facing external stressors, whether it's work or other things that a person may have on their plate on an individual level? Like, how do you think couples can support each other during those times? And like, what are some practical tips to to like be there for your partner while still maintaining that connection in your relationship? 
Yes, I think having like sort of a weekly communication check-in. I think if someone is going through a particular like work, some sort of work-related stress or external pressure, you're not always in the headspace to talk about it. And I think, so let's just, I mean, but it could be anyone. Let's just say a a guy is working and he's going through some like big deal that he's trying to close and his, his wife is working as well. But it's just too much bandwidth to talk about it. I think communicating that, so saying, I'm going through a lot of work. You know, I just don't have the bandwidth to talk about it right now. I just want you to know so that, not even so that if I say something but not nice, but just so that you know that I've got this on my plate, but like I'm here and everything else. I just don't want to talk about this right now. Because sometimes, and I think the other big thing is when someone's got some sort of work-related stress or whatever and they're saying something, to actually ask them the question, do you need support or solutions? I think that's such a huge question because it's natural and this is not this is not about men or women you know some people say oh men tend to jump to offering solutions I'm a woman and I'm the type of person who would jump to offer solutions and that's something that's really helpful not just in romantic relationships but even in friendships like often I'll speak to a friend and they'll tell me something and I'm, I'm like jumping to be like oh you could do like this or how about this sometimes they just want to be heard you know like active listening Active listening, exactly. Active listening and without offering any solutions. If that's what you want, I think that's a huge thing. And then in terms of like supporting each other and maintaining that connection, I think what you mentioned and what you're doing is absolutely amazing. Quarterly check-ins, you know, not just talking about like what's gone wrong, what's gone wrong and what's gone right, but also goals. So, you know, did I achieve what I wanted to in the last quarter? What am I going to move into the next quarter? What do I want to achieve, especially if it's work related? You know, what do I want to achieve in the next in the next quarter? I think kind of mapping that out, because whatever you go through in your work, essentially, it does affect your partner. It's like I think Carol Sandberg, who wrote Lean In, who said one of the most important decisions that you will ever make for your career is who you marry. And Warren Buffett has backed that up as well many a time. So I think just, you know, it might be your job, but essentially if it affects like your circle, like your family, then I think that's something that you need to have in those quarterly check-in goals to with your about work is really important too. Right, right. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I know I'm guilty of this myself where I'm so quick to give advice because you think that's what the other person wants when in reality, a lot of times they just need for you to listen. So I really love what you said that you can you can start by asking the question, like, what do you need from me? Do you need a solution? Do you need advice? Or do you just need me to listen and support? So yeah. that was really good. Let's talk about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness and how people can like truly let go of past grievances in order to sustain a healthy, thriving relationship. Yeah. I was just talking to someone about forgiveness today, actually. So forgiveness, in my opinion, is the kind of antidote to a relationship going through a tough time. So when we when we hold on to things, it's like holding on to hot coal, right? Most of the time, we're the ones that it's burning. I think when you learn to forgive, it's letting go of that hot coal and applying like a cool aloe vera gel to your hands. You know, and forgiveness also keeps you in the present. Because I think when you can't forgive, it's because you're constantly looking behind you at the past. And then when you do that, so say someone's done something for you to you and you can't forgive them, it's because you're constantly looking at the thing that they did to you, which happened in the past. Like it's not happening right now. And yet when we're constantly looking to the past, we end up acting from that place in the past 
which then affects your future. So, you know, it's important to forgive and move forward. It's like if someone, let's just take the example of um, someone who cheats, right? And let's, you know, because I know I don't want to get into the whole like who does it more. Let's say the woman is cheating and the man doesn't, you know, doesn't want to forgive. Every action after that in his relationship is going to be as a result of her indiscretion. You know, if he can't forgive that and let go. So suddenly he's, and then if that's the case, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, what is it about the relationship that you're holding on to then, right? And and the thing is, I will say, yes, forgiveness is not easy, right? It might not be easy to let go immediately of any past grievances. But let me let me give you an analogy. When the Twin Towers came down all those years ago, you know, it was horrific, no doubt. But imagine if the developers of New York tried to use what was left of the buildings to build a new one, right? It wouldn't work. So I think it's somehow similar in a relationship. Like instead of, you know, using the scraps of the past to patch up your relationship, I think it's about building something new based on love and trust. And that's not to say that you don't acknowledge what was there before, but you're not going to be able to move forward with that, you know, whatever happens. So whatever, you know, there's a really, uh, there's a really powerful prayer called Ho'oponopono. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically about thinking of all of us as one and connected. So I found what's really powerful is if you say the prayer, so it, um, what's the prayer? It's, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And you can Google it. There's like, or whoever's listening to this can Google it. There's, um, this, the story behind it is amazing, but you know, maybe doing that 21 times for 21 days really helps with forgiveness. Also asking yourself questions like, you know, what is holding on to the past doing to me in my relationship? So again, open-ended question. You're like, what is it doing to me in my relationship? Um, and I also think that when people say, you know, I can't just let go, then that's a story they're telling themselves. Um, you know, you can. If it's important yeah. to you, you can. And, you know, tell your partner how you feel. Like express. I'm not saying forgive. Let anyone do anything to you and just forgive. No, I, I mean, yeah, we're humans. But I think that if it's something that's burning you, like you're holding the coal and it's not affecting the other person anymore, but it's hurting you. Then you need to, forgiveness letters are a huge thing. Write a forgiveness letter to that person. Write a forgiveness letter to yourself. Let it go, rip it up. Like, you know, lots of things like that really help with forgiveness. But I think forgiveness is um, crucial to any to any relationship because we're all going to mess up at some point. Yeah, yeah. It's like if, you, if you're holding on to it, it's almost like waking up every morning being in conflict debt. Um, and I think like just like really, I mean, letting go and being able to forgive and like move on and kind of start fresh. Like I, I think that goes for any relationship, whether it's like romantic friendship or even business relationships. Like now, because of some of the projects I'm undertaking, like I have a business partner and like it's it's really interesting to me how the skills and like practices to maintaining a healthy business partner relationship very much mirrors that of a marriage or a romantic relationship. Like, you know, truly just being able to like, one, create a safe space to bring up issues, to talk through them in depth, ask for forgiveness, you know, resolve it and then move on. Like if I was still holding on to something that happened three months ago, we would not have been able to make as much progress as we have in our business journey. Yeah, sure. So, you know, you kind of alluded to cheating as an example, but when trust is broken in a relationship, obviously trust is so crucial for any relationship. How can couples build and maintain trust over time, especially after after a breach of trust has occurred? Yeah, so I think there's a few ways. Um, 
consistency, I would say the first thing. So be consistent, you know, in your words and actions. If you're always, I think, saying one thing but not following through, to me, you're chipping away at that trust between you and your partner. The second one would be honesty. So personally, for me, this is a big one. Okay, if I pick up on someone consistently lying, even if they're white lies, I start to lose trust in them. Mm. Because I feel like, you know, and again, I don't know if this is more like with Desi culture, although that's where I recognize it. Maybe I just don't know enough people who aren't, especially especially men. But I think you can't always draw the line between truth and lies. And so I think if someone's, even if they're lots of white lies, for example, that can oh you know, yeah. lose the trust in them. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm so glad you mentioned white lies because like I'm part of different uh, Facebook groups for specifically for dating and relationships. And this is a question that I see asked so often by women posting, um, you know, making posts on these groups, just asking for advice and help and things like that. But it's this, oh, well, I met this guy and he kind of gave this white lie on his dating app or he kind he said he was this age, but then I found out he was actually this age. Do you think this is OK? Like, should I give him a chance? And I'm like, these are white, like white lies are such a huge red flag. If you if someone is OK lying about small things, what makes you think that they wouldn't be OK lying about like much bigger things? So and also the question is, where where is the need for the white lies coming from? Is it fear about something? Is it, you know, the need to appear a certain way? Like it to me, it feels like it's a lot of the times it's covering some sort of insecurity. So right. I would be more concerned about what is the insecurity that you're covering with all these little white lies that you feel like you have to tell to, to be perceived in a certain way. I mm. think that's quite crucial. Yeah, um, that's really good. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. But and I think also, you know, other ways to maintain trust are things like apologizing, you know, like the question I often ask my clients is to consider is what's more important, like my relationship or being right? You know, and sometimes we get so caught up in proving that we're right about something to the detriment of our relationship. So if you've done something to hurt your partner, even unintentional, apologize. And it might not be, I'm sorry for doing this if you didn't feel that what you did was wrong. But it might say, you might say something like, I'm sorry that what I did made you feel, made you feel this way. Because you're still, so it's it's not saying, um, I'm sorry you feel this way. Because to me, that's not an apology. It's like, I'm feel this way you shouldn't it's I'm sorry that what I did made you feel this way so you're not you know because you may think well I didn't do it with that intention but if it's made them feel that way I think just you know don't ignore their feelings or try and disregard them simply because you didn't mean to hurt them they still yeah felt yeah yeah that's really good like whether or not there was intention behind the act it's still important to recognize the hurt that was created as a yeah. result of the act yeah sure yeah yeah um so we live in a digital age today. Everyone's lives are on social media. How do you think social media impacts the happiness and content of couples? Yeah, social media is, I think, <laughs> one of the things we've really got to watch out for because it's such a snippet and everyone is only putting like, their, I wouldn't even say 1%, I'd say like quarter of a percent, like such a tiny part of their lives. And usually the best part of their life. Um, so comparison is a really huge thing. I think being really open with each other in terms of like how we use social media, talking about things that we've seen that might be triggering with our partner, especially sometimes it's even, you know, if you're already feeling agitated or feeling like your partner is doing something and then you see on social media that they've liked a picture of someone, that's enough to like, you know, 
such a huge argument. And so I think being really open about it, respecting privacy. So having the conversation like, are you okay with me uploading this picture? Like, are you okay with, you know, me sharing this? I think that's quite important. Digital, you know, PDA. Are you both on the same page about that? Are you on the same page about public displays of affection? For some people, you know, they will use social media as a platform to confess their undying love for their partner. And then I've had those same people sitting across from me or on Zoom, like crying their eyes out. So I also think that don't use social media to make sure that your real life is in alignment with your social media profile. I think that's a huge one because it actually be really disorienting when you're in these arguments and you're fighting and arguing and you're upset and you're hurt and you're crying and yet across social media it looks like you're in cloud nine in your relationship <laughs> like I yeah, think for sure. misaligned or tough on relationships and then things like you know having phone free time when you communicate putting phones in, in other rooms when you're sleeping not having the phone at the dining table if you're going further than even things like having a cutoff time um, where you're not, you definitely don't have your phone in bed when you're with each other because point you know that that's something that really affects intimacy as well right like you can't have you shouldn't have your phone in bed um and then if it's really extreme and as a couple digital detoxes but you know yeah to do that sometimes yeah i i definitely you know think the constant exposure to curated content leads people to compare themselves including comparison of their relationships and you know, I'm I'm convinced at this point that the the couples who like post excessively about how perfect their relationship is are probably the ones that are struggling in their relationship the most. And mm-hmm. it's like posting about it is some way to like mask that insecurity, in my opinion. Um, I remember a few years ago, it was probably like four or five years ago, I was in a really like unhealthy relationship. And I remember I followed this one fitness influencer and she's like somebody who I had been following I was like an OG follower of her from like 2013. I loved watching her YouTube videos. She would talk about fitness, this and that, right? And so I'd been a longtime follower. And I always really enjoyed following her. But then I remember while I was in that, re- that really like unhealthy relationship, I would see her photos of her perfect relationship. And, you know, she ended up marrying that guy. And it was like every other day was another post about how blissful their lives are. And it would be like three paragraphs about how great this person is. And I actually ended up having to, for a brief period of time, unfollow that person because mm-hmm. to me, it, it was so, it wasn't like a sense of jealousy, but it was more like a triggering thing for me to see that because I was like, that's what I want. And so it was like every time me seeing someone else's perfect relationship was a constant reminder of something that I didn't have that I wanted and a constant reminder of like the hurt that I was feeling in my relationship. And so anyways, fast forward like a year or two later, they actually ended up getting divorced. And so after their divorce, you know, she kind of talked about a lot of things and she said, yeah, like I would often post about how perfect our relationship was, but I knew deep down it wasn't. And I was so caught up in this idea of like having to put on a front, especially because she had such a huge social media following. So yeah, I, I think it's that's just like really important to keep in mind about social media is like what you see online is like not even 1% of what's really going on behind the doors, behind the screen, actually, should I say. Yeah. And actually, earlier you mentioned Indian matchmaking. And I really felt for some of them recently because I was like, because of the show, you've had to showcase your relationship in a certain light um, online. And not all those relationships have worked out. Yeah. And it's it's quite like it really affects you then because not only have you 
like opened yourself up to this person, but you've opened your relationship up to like the whole world or at least, you know, 10,000, like thousands of followers and all of a sudden you have to kind of reel back. But that's not to say that you didn't feel all those things in that moment and that you didn't mean it then, but just that it's not always going to be that way or it's not always going to be, it's not always going to stay that way. Yeah. I actually had Sheetal on my podcast a few weeks ago. She was one of the cast members from season two and season three. And, you know, her relationship was publicized on TV. And then they went through a breakup this summer. And we talked about that on this very episode. But that was one of the things that we delved into was like the public pressure that being in a relationship that got blasted on TV and then like the after effects of that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely like a very real thing. Oh, watch listen to that most of yours but I'll go back and listen to that one yeah 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 so I had one more um actually I have a few more questions before we wrap up so this one was actually I got from a a a relationship and dating Facebook group that I'm part of so uh I'd mentioned I was going to be talking to you on an interview so this one person wanted to know I'd love to hear her insight on how you should choose a potential husband some of us that are easy to get along with Seems like we can get along with anyone and everyone. So guidance on how to discern if this person is marriage material will be helpful when in a long-term relationship. Yeah. So when when someone says to me, especially if it's a woman, says to me, oh, I'm easygoing, I always say, where are your boundaries? And that's a big one when you're looking for a relationship. That's not to say that you shouldn't be. And where are your boundaries? And also, where's your self sense of self-love, uh, self-worth at? Because that's not to say that being easygoing is not a positive kind of personality to have. But I think that when it's always like, oh, yeah, you know, where do you like to go for dinner? Anywhere I'm easy. What would you like to do today? Anywhere I'm easy. You know, that's great. They're very agreeable. But at some point, they're going to want something and not feel like they can kind of say it. So I would just say, think about where your boundaries are, because that will help you when you meet someone who has you know, who might have like a red flag and you're able to see it because you know exactly where you're at. The other thing I would say is, what do you bring to the table? So like we were talking about with the Indian matchmaking, of course, that a lot of that was done in jest, but it's like, oh, I want him to do this and I want him to have that and I want him to, you know, and I want her to be able to have this and that. And I would say, are you those things? Hmm. And are you bringing those, what are you bringing to the table with that? Because it's very easy to turn around and say, I want a partner who is all of these amazing things, but I'm just going to like sit here and, you know, I am the way I am. So if you want someone who's all about like growth and involvement, are you there too? Are you the kind of person who's trying to grow and trying to involve? I think that's yeah. quite important. So, you know, look to yourself and look at what you have to offer as well. That's not to say you can't have things about someone else. But I think when you're coming from a place of like a deep sense of self-worth and self-love I think you end up attracting that kind of person as well so I think kind of looking at yourself is more important than looking at the other person when you're looking for someone like yeah just be that person right a hundred percent I'm such a firm believer like if you want certain things out of a relationship it's unfair to expect those things if you yourself are not bringing those same qualities or similar qualities to the table as well so um, I guess like I'm just kind of curious in your line of work, are you working with couples together or are you working with individuals who are in relationships or, you know, tell us a little bit about your coaching that you do and, and how you help people? Yeah, sure. So I work with both. So I do kind of life and relationship coaching. So I work with people individually 
And the couples I work with, so I do it slightly differently. So I do a block of six and I don't bring people in together and have them tell me, you know, what they're experiencing, which is, you know, a lot of counseling, like counseling therapists do, because I just feel like people need, first of all, people need to be heard. And very often when they're sitting there, they're saying, oh, well, she does this and I don't like this and she does that. And the other person is not actively listening. They're just listening to respond. They're listening to be like, I don't, I don't do that. Wait until it's my turn to speak and I'm going to, you know, be like, I don't do that. So I actually do individual sessions with them first. So they'll each have an individual session. It kind of lets me, A, I'm listening without judgment. I'm active listening. It lets me know where they are at. And then we can kind of look at what is it about, like taking personal responsibility. They're much more able to do that when they don't have the other person in the room. They take that personal responsibility and they're like, okay, maybe I could change this or I could do that. And then when they come together, they're coming together from a place of strength. They're not coming together waiting to sort of jump on the other person and say, I don't do that. Don't say I do that. And I think that's really important. So I'll always do individual sessions with them before I bring them together. Sometimes one each, sometimes they need two each. And then we come together and they're able to communicate in a way that lands with the other person and the other person feels heard. So that's, that's how I work with couples. But I will be honest, a lot of the times it's just the woman will come and, and work and she's often like, Will it make a difference if it's only me and he doesn't come to the table with it? And I'm like, no, it does change things because you can you can change things. But at some point, then you'll know what direction your relationship is going. And yeah. I think it's a healthy relationship. Both of them will come. Yeah, that's a really interesting approach. Um, I, I like that. I like that you get to know them individually. And that mm-hmm. way, like that person feels like they have the full freedom to just share without, you know, the person that they're talking about is right next to them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And when you say block of six, what does that mean? Like block, like six sessions that you do initially? Yeah. So I do, I do one session if people want that as well. But typically, if you really want to see some change, you need to invest in yourself. You need to give yourself that time. So it's usually six sessions over six weeks or eight weeks. Do you have any, I guess, like success stories that you can share from your clients of couples who have faced challenges, but managed to revitalize their relationship because they put in, quote, the work? Yeah. So I think the clients who come in and do the work realize that it wasn't all about their partners. Um, You know, others who wouldn't have had certain conversations around uh, money, for example, because it's maybe how they've been raised. Now they feel like they're able to have these conversations and it changes everything. It changes their entire um, married life. I think another big one is understanding and identifying their beliefs and rewiring them. So I had a client, for example, who she was Ghanaian and in her words, like came from a really boisterous family and she married someone who was English, you know, raised very quiet, raised by a single parent. And she would get really agitated. Like if she said to him, oh, he decided he was going to do the dishes, for example. <laughs> and um, he'd put it in the sink and do it at the end of the day. And she'd get really irritated. And I said, why? why are you getting irritated? Is your sink deep? Is it shallow? Can you see the dish? And she's like, I can't see it, but I know it's there. And I'm like, okay, so what's the problem with it being there? And basically what unfolded was her realizing that the way she had been raised was that if the house was messy in any way, it meant you're a bad a bad wife and a bad mother and, and not a good enough woman. Because, you know, that it was that belief that being a good wife meant that you could keep your entire house tidy and all of that. And I think for her getting, realizing that belief and realizing, well, it's different. I'm not my mom. He's not my dad. I work full time now. Like we do things differently. Coming out of that state of like, this is the way it's always been done. The belief she had was that she's only a good wife if her house is spotless. 
And that's yeah. a huge, that's a huge one. Yeah. So I think just, you know, coming to that place of like rewiring those beliefs is massive. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, Awesome. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up. If people want to work with you, if they want to follow your content, how can they find you? Yeah. So I'm really active on Instagram. So it's at Natasha Coaches on Instagram. I do a 30 minute free VIP session for someone who's like, well, maybe I'm interested in coaching and we can chat about what it is that they need and how I can support them. Um, And I also have a relationship journal out for those who are like, we don't need coaching just yet or we want a small investment. I think it's like under $15. Um, and that's got it's divided into different kind of areas and then there's prompts so it's like you do it once or twice a week and it gives you the opportunity to answer those open-ended questions to figure out where your relationship is at and what you might need from each other thank you so much Natasha like this this conversation was golden I really loved our chat today I'm really excited for people to hear this because I think this will really benefit a lot of couples thanks for having me I'm so glad we finally got to do it Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also connect with us on Instagram at thebrongirl underscore podcast and all other social media platforms listed in the show notes. Thank you again. I appreciate you being here.